Chapter Two of the Old Curiosity Shop. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Mill Nicholson. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter Two. After combating for nearly a week the feeling which impelled me to revisit the place I had quitted under the circumstances already detailed, I yielded to it at length, and determining that this time I would present myself by the light of day, bent my steps thither early in the morning. I walked past the house, and took several turns in the street, with that kind of hesitation which is natural to a man who is conscious that the visit he is about to pay is unexpected, and may not be very acceptable. However, as the door of the shop was shut, and it did not appear likely that I should be recognised by those within, if I continued merely to pass up and down before it, I soon conquered this irresolution and found myself in the curiosity-dealer's warehouse. The old man and another person were together in the back part, and there seemed to have been high words between them, for their voices, which were raised to a very high pitch, suddenly stopped on my entering, and the old man, advancing hastily towards me, said in a tremulous tone that he was very glad I had come. "'You interrupted us at a critical moment,' said he, pointing to the man whom I had found in company with him. "'This fellow will murder me one of these days. He would have done so long ago if he had dared.' "'Bah! You would swear away my life if you could,' returned the other, after bestowing a stare and a frown on me. "'We all know that.' "'I almost think I could.' cried the old man, turning feebly upon him. If oaths, or prayers, or words could rid me of you, they should. I would be quit of you, and would be relieved if you were dead. I know it, returned the other. I said so, didn't I? But neither oaths, or prayers, nor words will kill me, and therefore I live, and mean to live. "'And his mother died,' cried the old man, passionately, clasping his hands and looking upward. "'And this is heaven's justice.' The other stood lounging with his foot upon a chair, and regarded him with a contemptuous sneer. He was a young man of one-and-twenty or thereabouts, well-made and certainly handsome, though the expression of his face was far from prepossessing having in common with his manner, and even his dress, a dissipated, insolent air which repelled one. "'Justice or no justice,' said the young fellow, "'here I am, and here I shall stop, till such time as I think fit to go, unless you send for assistance to put me out, which you won't do, I know. I tell you again that I want to see my sister.' "'Your sister?' said the old man bitterly. "'Ah, you can't change the relationship,' returned the other. "'If you could, you'd have done it long ago. 
I want to see my sister, that you keep cooped up here, poisoning her mind with your sly secrets, and pretending an affection for her, that you may work her to death, and add a few scraped shillings every week to the money you can hardly count. I want to see her, and I will. Here's a moralist to talk of poisoned minds. Here's a generous spirit to scorn scraped-up shillings, cried the old man, turning from him to me. A profligate, sir, who has forfeited every claim not only upon those who have the misfortune to be of his blood, but upon society which knows nothing of him but his misdeeds. A liar, too, he added in a lower voice, as he drew closer to me. Who knows how dear she is to me? and seeks to wound me even there, because there is a stranger nearby. "'Strangers are nothing to me, grandfather,' said the young fellow, catching at the word, "'nor I to them, I hope. The best they can do is to keep an eye to their business, and leave me to mind. There's a friend of mine waiting outside, and as it seems that I may have to wait some time, I'll call him in with your leave.' Saying this, he stepped to the door, and, looking down the street, beckoned several times to some unseen person, who, to judge from the air of impatience with which these signals were accompanied, required a great quantity of persuasion to induce him to advance. At length there sauntered up, on the opposite side of the way, with a bad pretence of passing by accident, a figure conspicuous for its dirty smartness, which, after a great many frowns and jerks of the head, in resistance of the invitation, ultimately crossed the road, and was brought into the shop. "'There, it's Dick Swiveller,' said the young fellow, pushing him in. "'Sit down, Swiveller.' "'But is the old men agreeable?' said Mr. Swiveller, in an undertone. Mr. Swiveller complied, and looking about him with a propitiatory smile, observed that last week was a fine week for the ducks, and this week was a fine week for the dust. He also observed that whilst standing by the post at the street-corner, he had observed a pig, with a straw in his mouth, issuing out of the tobacco-shop, from which appearance he augured that another fine week for the ducks was approaching, and that rain would certainly ensue. He furthermore took occasion to apologise for any negligence that might be perceptible in his dress, on the ground that last night he had had the sun very strong in his eyes, by which expression he was understood to convey to his hearers, in the most delicate manner possible, the information that he had been extremely drunk. "'But what?' said Mr. Swiveller, with a sigh. "'What is the odds?' so long as the fire of soul is kindled at the taper of conviviality, and the wing of friendship never molts a feather. What is the odds, so long as the spirit is expanded by means of rosy wine, and the present moment is the least happiest of our existence? "'You needn't act the chairman here,' said his friend, half aside. "'Fred,' cried Mr. Swiveller, tapping his nose, a word to the wise is sufficient for them. We may be good and happy without riches, Fred. Say not another syllable. I know my cue. 
Smart is the word. Only one little whisper, Fred. Is the old min friendly? Never you mind, replied his friend. Right again, quite right, said Mr. Swiveller. Caution is the word, and caution is the act. With that he winked, as if in preservation of some deep secret, and folding his arms, and leaning back in his chair, looked up at the ceiling with profound gravity. It was perhaps not very unreasonable to suspect from what had already passed, that Mr. Swiveller was not quite recovered from the effects of the powerful sunlight to which he had made allusion. But if no such suspicion had been awakened by his speech, his wiry hair, dull eyes, and sallow face would still have been strong witness against him. His attire was not, as he had himself hinted, remarkable for the nicest arrangement, but was in a state of disorder which strongly induced the idea that he had gone to bed in it. It consisted of a brown body-coat, with a great many brass buttons up the front and only one behind, a bright check neckerchief, a plaid waistcoat, soiled white trousers, and a very limp hat, worn with the wrong side foremost, to hide a hole in the brim. The breast of his coat was ornamented with an outside pocket, from which there peeped forth the cleanest end of a very large and very ill-favoured handkerchief. His dirty wristbands were pulled on as far as possible, and ostentatiously folded back over his cuffs. He displayed no gloves, and carried a yellow cane, having at the top a bone hand with the semblance of a ring on its little finger, and a black ball in its grasp. With all these personal advantages, to which may be added a strong savour of tobacco smoke, and a prevailing greasiness of appearance, Mr. Swiveller leant back in his chair, with his eyes fixed on the ceiling, and occasionally pitching his voice to the needful key, obliged the company with a few bars of an intensely dismal air, and then, in the middle of a note, relapsed into his former silence. The old man sat himself down in a chair, and with folded hands looked sometimes at his grandson, and sometimes at his strange companion, as if he were utterly powerless, and had no resource but to leave them to do as they pleased. The young man reclined against a table at no great distance from his friend, in apparent indifference to everything that had passed, and I, who felt the difficulty of any interference, notwithstanding that the old man had appealed to me, both by words and looks, made the best feint I could of being occupied in examining some of the goods that were disposed for sale, and paying very little attention to a person before me. The silence was not of long duration, for Mr. Swiveller, after favouring us with several melodious assurances that his heart was in the highlands, and that he wanted but his Arab steed as a preliminary to the achievement of great feats of valour and loyalty, removed his eyes from the ceiling, and subsided into prose again. "'Fred,' said Mr. Swiveller, stopping short, as if the idea had suddenly occurred to him, and speaking in the same audible whisper as before, "'Is the old min friendly?' "'What does it matter?' returned his friend, peevishly. "'No, but is he?' said Dick. "'Yes, of course. What do I care whether he is or not?' 
Emboldened as it seemed by this reply to enter into a more general conversation, Mr. Swiveller plainly laid himself out to captivate our attention. He began by remarking that soda-water, though a good thing in the abstract, was apt to lie cold upon the stomach, unless qualified with ginger, or a small infusion of brandy, which latter article he held to be preferable in all cases, saving for the one consideration of expense. Nobody venturing to dispute these positions, he proceeded to observe that the human hair was a great retainer of tobacco-smoke, and that the young gentlemen of Westminster and Eton, after eating vast quantities of apples, to conceal any scent of cigars from their anxious friends, were usually detected in consequence of their heads possessing this remarkable property. When he concluded that if the Royal Society would turn their attention to the circumstance, and endeavour to find in the resources of science a means of preventing such untoward revelations, they might indeed be looked upon as benefactors to mankind. These opinions, being equally incontrovertible with those he had already pronounced, he went on to inform us that Jamaica rum, though unquestionably an agreeable spirit of great richness and flavour, had the drawback of remaining constantly present to the taste next day, and nobody being venturous enough to argue this point either, he increased in confidence, and became yet more companionable and communicative. "'It's a devil of a thing, gentlemen,' said Mr. Swiveller, "'when relations fall out and disagree. If the wing of friendship should never moult a feather,' the wing of relationship should never be clipped, but be always expanded and serene. Why should a grandson and grandfather peg away at each other with mutual violence, when all might be bliss and concord? Why not jine hands and forget it? Hold your tongue, said his friend. Sir, replied Mr. Swiveller, don't you interrupt the chair. Gentlemen, how does the case stand upon the present occasion? Here is a jolly old grandfather, I say it with the utmost respect, and here is a wild young grandson. The jolly old grandfather says to the wild young grandson, I have brought you up and educated you, Fred. I have put you in the way of getting on in life. You have bolted a little out of course, as young fellows often do, and you shall never have another chance, nor the ghost of half a one. The wild young grandson makes answer to this, and says, You're as rich as rich can be. You have been at no uncommon expense on my account. You're saving up piles of money for my little sister that lives with you in a secret, stealthy, hugger-muggering kind of way, and with no manner of enjoyment. Why can't you stand a trifle for your grown-up relation? The jolly old grandfather, unto this, retorts, not only that he declines to fork out, with that cheerful readiness which is always so agreeable and pleasant in a gentleman of his time of life, but that he will bow up, and call names, and make reflections whenever they meet. Then the plain question is, ain't it a pity? that this state of things should continue, and how much better would it be for the gentleman to hand over a reasonable amount of tin, and make it all right and comfortable. 
Having delivered this oration, with a great many waves and flourishes of the hand, Mr. Swiveller abruptly thrust the head of his cane into his mouth, as if to prevent himself from impairing the effect of speech by adding one other word. "'Why do you hunt and persecute me, God help me?' said the old man, turning to his grandson. "'Why do you bring your profligate companions here?' How often am I to tell you that my life is one of care and self-denial, and that I am poor? How often am I to tell you, returned the other, looking coldly at him, that I know better? You have chosen your own path, said the old man. Follow it. Leave Nell and me to toil and work. Nell will be a woman soon, returned the other and bred in your faith she'll forget her brother unless he shows himself sometimes take care said the old man with sparkling eyes that she does not forget you when you would have her memory keenest take care that the day don't come when you walk barefoot in the streets and she rides by in a gay carriage of her own you mean when she has your money retorted the other how like a poor man he talks! And yet, said the old man, dropping his voice and speaking like one who thinks aloud, how poor we are, and what a life it is! The cause is a young child's guiltless of all harm or wrong, but nothing goes well with it. Hope and patience, hope and patience. These words were uttered in too low a tone to reach the ears of the young men. Mr. Swiveller appeared to think they implied some mental struggle consequent upon the powerful effect of his address, for he poked his friend with his cane, and whispered his conviction that he had administered a clincher, and that he expected a commission on the profits. Discovering his mistake after a while, he appeared to grow rather sleepy and discontented and had more than once suggested the propriety of an immediate departure, when the door opened, and the child herself appeared. End of chapter 2